Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture, a podcast exploring the real-life stories of predatory patterns in our everyday lives, with episodes ranging from well-meaning white people to CPTSD and high achievers' anxiety in a world that has a fetish for peak performance. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to breaking codes of silence, shame, and secrecy in our own families, communities, companies, and cultures, but mostly within our own bodies. And welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations on Predatory Patterns in Business, Community, and Culture. Today I have this a episode guest. This episode will continue in part two. Um, my she, interview name with Kalika is Kalika Kanitkar. I'll be releasing it next. And she's a small Sunday, business owner so and cognitive tuned. scientist with a passion for mental health education. She was involved in the travel network marketing space for seven years and got out about a year ago. Since then, she's begun to share her experience. This is to raise part awareness two of my interview with Kalika Kani the predatory tactics. If you didn't hear the first sales, part, please go back and listen to last week's episode. You can episode follow her at, at and Kalika continue Kani listening to part two social media today. channels, although she's Thank most you so active much on for Instagram listening. and YouTube. Check the show notes for those links. Um, I'm pretty excited to have you as a guest, Kalika. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. <laughs> The I want our listeners to know that um, the way that uh, you and I met is um, through online social media. Um, I By listening, you agree. For those of you listening that don't know, I recently to told my multi-level marketing of your story. Including for the first time, to patients that you and um, in this, this happened is intended to replace the services well over 12 years ago, and the business itself was 12 years uh, before that. And so it's just been a very long time before I've spoken this out loud, and I've never spoken it out loud Sean, LLC, ever. And, affiliate and it ended up being a under no mini saga be to any listener of, of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was really an interesting story, which I'll totally show with my listeners at some point. But it ended up being a mini saga of three different episodes of five plus hours. You experienced as a result um, each this section really shared, um, you know, levels of indoctrination of what happens over time, especially as you grow into leadership within um, commercial cult systems like this. And so it was all very uh, fascinating. So I was able to do that with Julie Anderson on her multi uh, anti MLM platform on YouTube, and uh, Kalika ended up listening to this podcast, and so through that, um, I was able to kind of witness all of the listeners that are following Julie that are active in multi level marketing or in coaching or in some sort of level of recruitment model systems, and. Uh, my story just went into a ton of detail around things. And one of the things it brought up was a gentleman by the name of Mark Cassetta, who I realized is active in the multi-level coaching, online business systems. And this dude was um, a trainer back when in 1999, when I first got into multi-level marketing. Um, he wasn't anywhere in my teams or uplines or anything of that nature, but he was one of the top leaders in the first company I got into in 1999 um, that for me of the, the leaders at that time, there were a handful that kind of had a persona that um, I could relate to that seemed kind of like 
um, kind and good. And, and then there was a handful that were more like the wall street, my way or the highway Rolex watch kind of slickster business persona type. And my upline Joe Delio was that kind of type. And Marcus was that kind of type. And really the persona that they really, um, idolatrized, uh, idolatrized, like put on the, on the pedestal was that persona in, in that business model back then. So when Kalika reached out and was sharing after listening to kind of part one and then maybe part two, like I was like, whoa, because she has direct influence and came into this industry of commercial cults, multi-level marketing, network marketing, referral marketing, whatever you want to call it. And um, from my understanding, direct relationship, coaching, training from the Marcusetta model. And that blows my flipping mind. Like, whoa, a little emoji brain. So yeah, if you want to jump in here, I just want to thank you for being here because the whole connection is blowing my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you again for having me. And that is the reason I, I remember that first message that I sent to you and I was like, hold on, you know, this person, I need answers, you know, because I was in network marketing. I joined in 2015. So this is a good 10 plus years later. And the company that I joined was called World Ventures and Marcusetta was the director of training for World Ventures. So he, I believe, took that role on in 2006. And so this is where I was listening to your story being like, okay, so I know he was in, in track at 2003 and you know, or whatever, you know, where, wherever you were, but I'm like, okay, I'm trying to put a timeline together in my head to figure out um, what led him to be the director of training for World Ventures. He was put up on this pedestal. He was not a rep. He was um, a salaried like employee for the company as their director of training. That was his official title. And if he had started that in 2006 and I joined in 2015, that's a solid um, nine years later, you know, that he had that role. Yeah, so he was director of training for almost 10 years, even before I joined. So he seemed like a well-seasoned, well-polished, like this is the person to look up to. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's a professional in this industry. He's hit the top of four different companies or something mm. is what he had said. And so this is how, yeah, this is how they always tell their stories of like, oh, I've hit the top of this company and I have built teams of this many people, but they don't really ever say which company or whatever happened to those companies. And so that's what really stood out to me when you were like, oh, Equinox was um, found to be a pyramid scheme. And then Trek Alliance was found to be a pyramid scheme. And I think you said that was in 2003, two, yeah, and that was two of his companies. Yeah, we know he was in Equinox and we know he was yeah. in, in track and he was at the top of both of those. So that is a part of his story. But yeah, you're pointing out a really important thing that when somebody's I, I put pedestaled, he's not a rep. He's now come in from the company point of view to create a, this legitimization around his knowledge of the field. So he's coming in as somebody who's been proficient, excellent, the top of his game when he built a team because he was the top in four companies. Two of those we know for sure got shut down by the FTC. That doesn't happen to be included in that edification story. And then whatever the other companies that are included in whatever he did after Trek Alliance, I have no idea because Joe Delisle, as I told in my story, took us to symmetry. I have no idea what these other characters did. 
Yeah. But what's interesting about what you're pointing out, like when you bring up the fact that Marcusetta was set up as the director of training for World Ventures, this crosses my story where the company that Joe Delisle ends up taking his team after terminating my business. So the very finale of my bit of my story is when he, after he terminates my business, not too long later, I want to say less than six months, they take their team away from symmetry because I was telling you they were bullying the company. They take their team to world ventures. And I almost could guarantee, I don't know the timeline in this, but I could almost guarantee that it's um, that Marcus said is already the director of training Probably for world ventures. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why there's that old relationship between Joe and Mark. Right. And so they create Uh these fantastical stories when new, when new groups are bought in to come into the company, because it inflates an an, an organization, inflates a company to be able to then use these false sales numbers because new wholesale organizations join World Ventures at a particular mark, right? And then uh-huh. people like you, however many years in, come in when there's this inflation of growth, but you don't know the backstory of them uh-huh. buying whole companies or whole uh-huh. teams. Yep. Anyway, this is just yeah. so disturbing to know that Marcusetta is in full effect. And, and I could look at probably almost, we could start looking up leaders that were like leaders back then in mar- in network marketing and, and to see how they've reinvented themselves as coaches, uh-huh. speaker coaches, uh, corporate coaches, and, and really their skill sets is in MLM. So if they can get positioned cozy within a company like what Marcusetta did, become the leadership sales, he's able to use all his backstories to see how many companies can come into the, to the organization. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's important to point out for the people that don't know why this is even a problem. It's the entire multi-level marketing industry is based on the fundamental lie that you can just recruit forever and everyone has an, has an income opportunity. And the reason that this is becoming problematic is because it's stacked against the majority of people. And so if someone's going to come in and be a trainer or a top leader, not only is that saying that they've exploited a bunch of people below them, but there's all these other backstories that are coming in as to why you hit the top of each company. It's not like you started from zero and built to the top of every company. You're bringing teams over, you know, and the reason they go into corporate roles or into coaching is because ultimately they know the business model isn't viable. And then people like Mark who have made the coaching, their whole persona, their their whole offering, it's like you're you're coaching people to work harder in a system that's exploiting them. And so that's why this becomes problematic because they leave out all the problem parts of their stories. Like for example, the fact that these companies are shut down as pyramid schemes. Like these people shouldn't be able to go to a new company and then say they're the best at it if what they were essentially doing is scamming people, right? But they leave out all of those pieces of those stories and then just take the good parts and 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 move it forward. And again, all of us have that in our history, right? Like we've all had low points and we don't always want to rehash the low points. But the point is, this is all built on a fun, fundamental system of exploiting people, not actually hard work or building a, a real 
you know, business. And, and he was in that role as the director of training. So essentially he, he ran every training we had. He built our entire training system into the company, saw a lot of similarities from what you were saying was part of the training system and Equinox and track. Like we'll talk about that. But he had initially, this was before I was in, he had a, a monthly advantage training once a month. You go to a weekend somewhere and it's like that whole month to month cycle. You build to the training, bring more people to every training that you go to, those kind of things um, built in these for quarterly major events. He was the director of training at these things. And then he would, he called them knighted trainers, but you would become a trainer. We'll, we'll talk about this too, because the whole creating this, creating this want, like I, I never wanted to be a trainer before network marketing, but somehow when I was in, I was like, I just want to be up on that stage. And I'm like, why, like, where did that even come from? But they instill that in you. And then the best of the best, he knights them as trainers. And they're the only ones that can talk at these um, corporate events or like the, the main, the main trainers at these corporate events. Right. So he built this whole system in and he's, he, I mean, he's savvy. So what he did was, he branded his training system as Marcus at a seminars. Like, so he was the director of training for WV, but he had this system and this, you know, might've varied slightly, but the first event of the year was called momentum. The second, the second event of the year was called um, United. And that was like the international one. All the other ones were national ones and they'd have a couple across the globe. And then the fall one was called A View from the Edge. I don't know if he was doing this back in the day because he's claimed to be doing this presentation for years, but it's like this theatrical. He does it like skit style, um, calls it edutainment. So it's basically like these skits he does on stage. He plays these different characters and he's making different points, right? Like, like finding aces in your business is like flipping through a deck of cards or like mining for gold or climbing a mountain. And he'd do like a skit, you know? Um, but he branded this as his own training system. It's called a view from the edge, right? And they say when you're in, they say that was for like, it's supposed to be more entertainment, more entertaining than just sitting through a seminar. Like you'll retain more if you're being entertained, which there's again, again, a grain of truth to something like that. But now seeing it from the other side, the emotional manipulation of taking you to a high and then taking you to a low and then talking about your business and then telling you not working hard enough and then talking about the day that you die and then talking about like a, the highest moment in your life. You're, you're riding this emotional roller coaster. And that's, that's the, that's where the undue influence comes in as far as manipulating, you know, your worldview and indoctrination and things like that. Um, and so we would have, and oh yeah, I missed one. The summer one was called boot camp. And that has a military theme, right? So yeah. this was his training system. And so, so I want to um, pause. I want to pause. Yeah. I want to pause and just say, oh my <laughs> fucking God, the whole training system is right out of Trek Alliance. It's the same thing. The whole, I, I'm excited for you to get into it now more than ever, because through your story and reflecting how he's been able to brand it, how smart is a brand to brand it as Marcus set of seminars, because then no matter what happens with world ventures, he's able to take this as his brand, as if he created this stuff, but it's actually a formula that was absolutely used at Trek Alliance days. And he was one of the knighted, the, even you just saying that to me, <laughs> rippled a memory through yeah. my body 
of the want they created to be a trainer all mm-hmm. the way back to Trek, the knighted thing, Rich Vaughn and Tiffany Vaughn and yes. Clay would do yes. that with Mark Asetta and Joe and Sandy Jacobson and Ray Pearson and all those top trainers. And it was instilling, you're new and you have no idea who these people are. And it's instilling this weird inner longing for something, but you just said it. You said the only people who could speak are these knighted people, right? So he's there's they're crafting in coercive behavior that you don't necessarily know is going on, but you want to strive to be somebody important enough to speak and to add value and blah, uh-huh. blah, blah. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for you to get into yeah. this. Yeah. Um, where mean, do you want to begin is where I want to say. And, you know, I, I will get into the nitty gritty, but like, I kind of want your, in, in, your take on this, because one thing that I was, I was doing some research for my, for my video on WV that I'm going to do, and I'm putting together like a timeline of essentially everything that went down in the company um, via like news articles, like behind MLM is a great blog. And he, I'll send you the, the document I have because I have 20 to 30 articles. He chronicled the whole thing. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to put it in uh, chronological order and then match it up to my timeline to see like what was really going on because exactly. it was declared illegal in multiple countries. Um, there's multiple lawsuits. Reps aren't getting paid. They're suing reps for leaving because they're not getting paid. All these things are happening. And then on this side, I'm like in the bleachers at these events, like everything's wonderful and this company's awesome. And, and okay, pause. So- we got to fill the listeners in. So what, <laughs> what Kalika is talking about right now is in my end of the story, I was talking about how some people that I'm talking about in my story, historically back 12 years ago, when I was in symmetry and Trek Alliance, how these people are active in a company called secret right now and how secret is an active multi-level, but out of nowhere, they seem to, at least this is my view. They seem to have this, club secret hashtag that started, which was a travel aspect Uh to what they already had, which was body products and nutrition products and other things like this. But they added this travel thing. And these people that I know, Angie Ryder and Jen Obert that I talked about in my story Uh are in that. And so you're Uh talking about how the company you had joined, which is World Ventures, it's a travel Uh multi-level marketing company. Um, ends up being in trouble. You're talking about this while it's going under with the F it's being investigated. Reports are coming out of it. They're not paying their reps. All that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Simultaneously, your, some of your, the reps are getting assimilated into secret Mm -hmm. and you're saying you're watching both. Yeah. Well, this is, but you're now doing this chronology chronology to try to make sense of essentially this started happening about a year ago in world ventures. You're going to have to take us back to. No. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me go back. Yeah. So world ventures started in, in 2005. Okay. I joined in 2015. And so a lot of the people that were showing up in world ventures, like Marcus as the director of training were people that you knew from back in your day. Um, Travis just would have been 2015. 
This is all 2015 when that, so at the time when you're joining, these people are joining World Ventures. No, no, they're already in. They're like established figures. Yeah. So So Marcus said is there, Travis just is there. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So I joined in 2015, but they had probably been there for almost 10 years already. So Marcus said is this established figure as a director of training. Travis just is already at the highest level of the company or or he's at the second highest and about to hit the highest. From my experience, he was at the highest level the, the majority of time I was in. But he's another person that was, you said, a top leader on Joe's team way back in the day with you in um, Trek Alliance, right? So I'm coming in and I'm seeing all these people winning. I, I, I buy into the vision, right? And, and so I get into this company. I'm like, oh, I can travel the world and go on these amazing trips and get really good deals and make career level income. That's kind of what I was sold essentially. And, and that's what I, I bought into. So I was part of this company. And, um, so I joined in 2015, 2020 is when they ended up filing chapter 11 bankruptcy. So that's what happened to world ventures as the company, as it is. Um, and up until that point, because I was, I, I did fairly well from a sales perspective. Their their comp plan is now looking back, it's like so blatantly a pyramid scheme. Like it's not even disguised well, but like their comp you cannot rank without recruiting. You like really can't get anywhere. And I just didn't recruit a lot of people. I didn't. I sold a lot of memberships, but I was at the bottom of the pyramid essentially. And so. From my perspective, from 2015 to 2020, they're just giving the same training, singing the praises of the company, talking about growth, talking about expansion, how great things are going. And then like you'd notice like weird things like leaders leaving or there'd be trouble, but like you were just kind of taught to block it out. I would just like unfollow those people. Right. So I'm thinking this company is fine until the day it's not fine. They did not tell us like you know, that it was going under, that the situation was as dire as it was. So it went under in 2020. And in, and as I tell that story, we'll see, but like the downlines essentially got transferred over to secret, right? So that's where secret comes into the picture. Um, I got grandfathered over to secret as well. Kind of hung out there, didn't really do anything until I quit network marketing last year, 2022, August, 2022 is when I actually like sent in my resignation. And it was like, take me out of the system. Right. And so since then I've been trying to piece everything together. So as I've been going back, this is where I've been looking and trying to create a timeline with what happened with world ventures because Mm. 2020 was COVID, right? They just explained, Oh, you know, COVID travel company went under during COVID very understandable, right? No one's really going to question any business shutting down during COVID because the whole world shut down during COVID, but that's not really what happened, you know, and it just kind of got swept under the rug. And, and the thorn in my side is that these people just go continue to go on to the next thing and continue to grift and continue to take advantage of these, the same people. And these people continue to put them up on a pedestal and pay them money and exalt them. And that's why I feel like speaking about this. And so in my journey of speaking out, I've started to do this chronological. So I've been putting together news articles on one side of, okay, let me find everything I can online about WV, all the press releases, different countries, all the things. Let me just, let me just catalog it. 
and then consider those sources. And then also side by side, let me, let me put up my experience and what I was experiencing. Right. And again, bottom of the pyramid. And so this is the cult like information control that happens in these um, MLM companies is the lower you are in the system, the less, you know, so like being at the bottom, I didn't know like the problems that were going on behind the curtain, you know, the more money you made, that's where you realize, oh crap, the, the company is not paying me. So they have to explain a little bit more to you or whatever the situation may be. But me being at the, at the lower levels, I didn't know any of this stuff. So this is me piecing it together. And even my video is going to be, since his, since his training was called a view from the edge, I'm going to say a view from the bottom of the pyramid and like <laughs> break it all down, you know? So I've been, <laughs> Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm so excited about this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the view from the lower level, and it's really true. What you said is the, the lower you are, the less information, the more you're being painted a story. uh And that story is just what you've been taught to follow. And you don't have enough pieces of the puzzle to really understand. And you're talking about the information control Uh to be able to do that chronology is going to be so excellent because yeah. it's going to really illuminate exactly what happens, that they do exactly what you said over and over again, and they just move on to the next place. And they'll even say, as big top leaders, they'll say they shield their downline from that information for their sake. And uh-huh. they'll say that because making a move like that can be very confusing. And so to, to make a choice like that, a lot of these, quote, top leaders think they are doing their best. And, and that's kind of their indoctrination they get for, to the higher yeah. leaders, to the kind of mid-level leaders that say, hey, don't say much, just say this. They kind of get fed a narrative of what to say to their main leader downline. Uh-huh. But either way, it's actually just extending the exploitation. That's the point you're making. Uh-huh. And it's an excellent point because it's exactly what's happening. They're choosing what part of the story to tell and then they're eliminating the other part and then they're just assimilating into a new company. I wouldn't be surprised. It's because of the relationships that Marcus has with the owners of Secret and some of the other main downline and other things. Uh Um, But it is extra manipulative because the lower you are, like what you're saying, you're getting a false story. You're not, you're Uh just getting a not complete story. Uh And, and the reason that like, this is what struck me because I was just working on this a couple of days ago and I'm realizing I've created a, a document, a couple pages long of articles and this chronology, and I'm seeing all these things were going on and being publicly reported while I was in. But for whatever reason, and again, this like, yes, I, it, yes, it's a cult, but no, it's not a cult where I'm living on a compound and I don't have access to the internet and I don't, you know what I mean? So it's like the information control is so strong that they kept me from seeing this information while I was in and essentially brainwashed me into just working harder in a failing business. Like this business was literally not able to pay its vendors, stop paying its reps. Me at the bottom of the pyramid is just like, I just got to show more people. I just got to show more people. I just got to grind harder and harder and harder. And that's when it became 10 people a day, 20 people a day, reaching out to 200 people a day. I mean, Julie's story, very similar to mine. Like 
that's when I joined Rank Makers. That's when I started seeking outside coaching and started paying for outside coaching because I'm like, I bought the lie that if you just work hard, you can make career level income. And even though all the evidence is stacked against me, even though my first year was my best year, it, it just blows my mind that they can indoctrinate you so much, the thought control and information control to keep me from noticing that, hey, Malaysia has says this is a pyramid scheme. Norway has says this is a pyramid scheme. South Africa, Tonga, all these like all these different countries have issued warnings that, you know, and there is studies done studies done for the Norway case because they tried to appeal it for four years and it still got denied, but they did some studies and it blew my mind. 95% of the membership base was affiliates. The whole of premise of this. Yeah. The whole premise of this is helping people travel for cheap, travel on a budget, not cheap, but like inexpensive travel, like good quality and expensive travel. Like the whole pitch is we just want to help the average person make a couple hundred, a hundred extra dollars a month. We just want to help that family get one vacation for free, you know, but it's like 95% of people buying the actual membership are affiliates. So what does that mean? There's no actual demand in the marketplace for this product. That's what you, yes. that's what you're telling me. And this was back in 2014. So it doesn't matter if it was WV. It doesn't matter if it's rebranded as secret. They've also the old execs from WV have rebooted it as Dream Trips International. So there's another one. There's two offshoots, essentially. They're selling like $500 package, like even more expensive ones. It doesn't matter. The, the marketplace has shown there's no demand for that product. You know, another one of the studies said um, only 7% of people, less than 8% of people actually used their membership. Again, so you're selling something to somebody who, that doesn't need it and isn't going to use it. You know what I mean? And so it's very interesting that all this was public information back in 2014, even before I joined, even before I was sucked in. And for some reason, they told me, don't believe everything you see online. Those people don't know what's going on. We have the right. And this is what I want to talk about, because it, it's not just indoctrination. It's like master's personal development and business training. So you think by going to all of these events, and that's what I did when I when I um, joined, I was like, I'm going to go all in and I'll go to all the trainings for the first year. We'll see where I'm at in a year, you know, and the way it was presented was that, okay, well, if you can afford the training and if you can work hard, you'll succeed. You'll here, succeed. Right? You'll get you'll there. Succeed. It's just a matter you'll, of time. Yeah. And the biggest barrier I saw to people doing that was that they didn't have the money to keep paying for every single training. But I'm like, I had the extra money. So I'm like, I'm going to go all in my first year. But what, what did that do? That just indoctrinated me really, really deep that first year, because that was the first year that was the year that was the year that I felt like I got groomed, like some of those things that I mentioned to you. Um, but like, that's where my fascination started is like, how could someone keep me from seeing this information? It's not like they took my computer away from me. Yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, it, it, they literally changed my framework and my mindset so that I wouldn't allow myself to consume any information that was opposite to what they were telling me and that yes. is brainwashing <laughs> and yes. the fact that it can happen over a computer long distance it can happen you, you know you don't have to be around these people all the time because they give you these audio tapes and then you self-indoctrinate you know what I mean and so all and then this is where we can go down to the nitty-gritty of the 
the magazines, the audio tapes, the things that you listen to all the time, you know, all the events that you're supposed to plug into, those kind of things. But it's like, where, where did the indoctrination start? Where, where does the training end and the indoctrination start? You know, and I mean, that's, that's a question you can't really answer because they're blended together. I want to pause us there. Exactly. I want to pause us and just say they're commingled, right? It's what I talk about mostly where love and abuse is commingled in this kind of a training model, real personal development, real business information is infused with predatory, uh, coercive control tactics. Mm -hmm. So love and abuse isn't the same language we would use. We would say healthy, proper business, some, some proper business tools, proper personal development commingled with very coercive control tactics. And I think you've just started us off with a really important warning that folks that are really specialized in the network marketing and multi-level marketing, they're going to be really excellent at these coaching training models because it's how we grow in that business. Uh You just said it, you had the money to attend and go all in. And the whole entire premise of the entire model is that consistency to go to training. Uh Everything is predicated on that. And within that, they offer a model that does absolutely shape your behavior the information you allow in. In my story, it's the information they quote gave us, but you're bringing it to another level. The information that you allow yourself to read, right? They did that to us too, but it's 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 more subtle than just not giving you a book because now you have an, an internet and you can go research this stuff yourself, but you have to be indoctrinated, right? That behavior control, information control, thought control, teaching you how to shape your thoughts, what to think about, what not to think about, what to pay attention to, what not to pay attention to, what to allow into your airspace, what not to allow into your Uh airspace. That's built into this momentum, united, a view from the edge and the boot camp system this Marcus set a system is just like a copycat system of, of the original coercive control training model that has been adapted to the unique personalities of all the people um, around the world. And the last one of the bite model folks, behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotion control, thinking you how to feel what emotions to feel, what you're allowed to say, not allowed to say by controlling who's allowed to talk in the room, you're controlling emotional behavior, right? And you're, you're, you're creating a, an environment that one doesn't know is happening to them. And the more committed Uh you get to that system, the more that system is going to influence you to do that same thing. But so much of the coercion is under the surface. It's not the business principles they're teaching. And it's, again, it's commingled with some okay business principles that may or may not be true, that may or may not be complete. Um, so thank you for starting us there. For those of you that don't know, it's the bite model. This is this is Stephen Hassan's bite model, behavior control, information control, thought control, emotion control. And we all have to become discerning about the tactics that are used are all around us. Because as you're saying, it's not 
cults are not just the spiritual group. Yeah. It's happening in business environments, personal development, personal growth environments, brain enhancing environments, you know, all sorts of quote community spaces. Um, and you don't know the level of coercion that is mm-hmm. actually the whole system is based on. And these, I don't know, it just keeps coming back to the, the professionalism that Marcus Setter represents. Mm-hmm. There is a professionalism that a professional network marketer after 12 to 20 to 30 years in this industry will bring to a training system that while it's good, you'll feel kind of this like too good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was almost, you started to notice how curated it was too, because then you'd see the repetition after you kept going, you know? And that's where it was kind of like, it's, it's good, but then it's like, they teach you that you're supposed to hear the same thing and take something new from it every time because you're at a different place in your business, you know? And then you realize that like, no, the reason they're saying the same thing over and over again is because you're supposed to keep bringing new people that are going to get like indoctrinated into this system. And then like, I started getting disillusioned. I'm like, you keep saying it's a, the, the tagline is it's a view from the edge and life will never be the same. And I'm like, you say that every year. I'm like, how is life never the same every single year? Like, this is starting to like not make sense to me, right? Like, but then they, they're they clever. They have this spin on now social media and now online. Like, so they could take those same principles and just tweak them a bit so that people and their reps can now apply it in these situations that are now on social media. And that's kind of, I think we're all like start to kind of walk through like how I kind of got sucked in because that's, I think the important part, because I think a lot of times people are just browsing on social media and they don't really realize the intention and coercion behind the posts that are on there and, and what people are trying to get you to do. I mean, in, in this day and age, it's not something that's super new. We know we're kind of always being sold something. There's ads everywhere. There's, you know, but at least they're like clearly defined ads where like a lot of times this will become it's still a bait and switch, but it's just a little bit different. You know, I think in your situation, it was like you really thought you were interviewing for a job like you it looked like a job interview, which it, it was not. <laughs> yeah, they purposely set it up that way. And that was a part of the one of the original reasons why the FTC shuts these types of organizations down. When you have deceptive marketing like that, where you're pretending it to be one thing, and a lot of offices would get shut down and you just get so indoctrinated to think that you're doing the right thing and the 97% are the people that are the yeah. wrong people. And, you know, there ends up being this weird camaraderie that's created within that training network, right? Like when somebody like you starts to ask questions, like, why is it repeating? Um, (laughs) It's like, you don't get it because it's about bringing new people, so to speak. It's like this, the the deception is built in. Yeah. And the bait and switch can take many forms, you know, and, um, and that's, that's why, like, I feel like it's so important to talk about, like, my, my personal, it wasn't exactly, like, the same, it was, like, I saw a picture of a friend with my best friend, okay, and this is how they used the people close to you, like, it was totally that warm market, like, FOMO, curiosity post recruitment thing that worked for me, and it was, it was my, um, um, 
my, we'll call her my upline because she was the one who played that role, who essentially recruited my best friend, right? And she made a post online and was like, I'm so excited to travel the world with my best friend and make memories and make money and do all the fun things, you know? And um, at that time, I was 25 years old. I had just transferred to UC Berkeley um, and I had just finished my first semester there. And um, I was a late transfer. I had some, it took a long time to finish school. So I, I was a, a late transfer and I was a little bit older than my peer group in my classes. So I was looking for community. And so this is where I kind of want to start pointing out the things that they, they do prey upon and how it's built into these training systems is because pretty much everyone goes through transitions. And usually when people are going through transitions, they're looking for community and people that they can fit in with, right? I was six years older than all the all the kids in my school. You know, I didn't feel like I could really relate to the 18-year-old after I was 24 and putting myself through college and had a lot more like life experience. So I was just looking for people, you know, community, my age, my people that wanted to do what I was doing. And I wanted to like travel. And I'm like, if my best friend's going to travel the world, like I want to go, like she was my friend too, you know, like I knew her and then she, she recruited my best friend. And so FOMO, like, I know it's very cliche, but like so. they create this fear of missing out with, with the good stuff too. You know, it's, it's like, you don't want to miss out on the good times with your friends. Like that's one of those things where it wasn't even a materialistic thing. It was like, I just want to travel and have fun, you know? And, um, that's kind of like why I joined and I kind of honestly like not signed myself up but like I saw this post and then I googled it and I found their website I found World Ventures website and then I went over to my best friend's house and I asked her I'm like okay so I know you're doing this thing like what is it and the thing is she didn't want to show me she didn't want to show me until she was successful with it but because I asked she showed me and then I signed up I was like cool let me just do this with you. And I thought I was going on vacation with my friends. And the concept was, hey, well, if you're going to travel with your friends and you want to share this idea, you could also make some money doing it. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I'll sign up for that piece too. But I wasn't signing up to, like, work a job. Like, at that point, I didn't think that it was a job. It was like, okay, let me just travel with my friends. And then this was January 2015. The first event, Momentum was in Alabama, I don't know, some random city. And it was end of January. So it's three weeks after I signed up. Mind you, I did not sign up to like build a business. I had just signed up to go on vacation. But I'd signed up for the affiliate portion. I'd signed up to have the option to make money. But in my head, it wasn't like, I'm going to get rich off of this or I'm going to make a full-time income. Not yet. And then the upline decides to try to get me to go to this event. And this is where the event bullying begins. And like, um, I was like, I'm not, I'm not flying to Birmingham, Alabama or wherever it was in three weeks. Like I had have not prepared for this. That's my first day of school. Like that was when my semester was starting. This is, it's funny. They'd start right at the beginning that I would start skipping school to go to an event. Right. And I'm like, okay, emailed my teacher. Hey, can I miss the first day? Like I promise I'll be in class, but I'm going out of town for a business conference, you know? So, so did that, anyway. did, for them to convince you to do that, was that many conversations with that woman? So she, I wasn't going to go at first. And then she, um, 
pulls the three-way call on me without me realizing. Tell me about it. I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear all about it right now. So then, so I, she, she calls me and I don't realize, but then her upline's on the phone and his, I'm just going to use names. She doesn't even prep you. She doesn't even say so-and-so's no, kind. She just has them on the phone. Yes. Yeah. So she's like, oh, I have Dan on the phone. So Dan is, is my upline or her, you know, he was like the marketing director on our teams, which is the first of the higher like leadership ranks, you know? And so she's like, I've Dan, you know, so I get on the phone with her thinking that she just wants to talk to me and she has him on the phone and he essentially like hard closes me on going to the event with essentially saying, well, you signed up to make money. You know, you signed up, you did sign up for the business portion. And if you do want to eventually do this as a business, you're going to need to come to the event to figure out how to really build this as a business. Cause you really just don't understand the whole picture of it until you come to one of these events. I mean, you have signed up, but our whole team is in Colorado and you're in California. You know, how are you going to really learn how to do this? If you don't come to the event, you know, like you signed up for it, you might as well, you know, and again, valid point there that, that that's a valid point, but he didn't mention that there like were local teams in California that had trainings because I mean, it wasn't any benefit to him for, you know, to do that necessarily. And I'm like, I remember getting off the phone and like, I remember these feelings and Mm -hmm. I felt so angry because I'm like, I don't know this man. I'm so mad that he just got me to commit to going to something. But at the same time, I think I kind of like him. It was the most bizarre feeling, but this is, this is coercive control. (laughs) Thank you. That mixed feeling of not exactly being able to trust yourself, feeling something and not being able to trust it in that it's coercive control. And, and I'm like, wow, this is so weird. It's the feeling of being gaslit. It's the feeling Mm -hmm. of, of this something, something just happened and you can't quite tell what just happened. And mm-hmm. it's really important that we just pause here for a second because a couple of things are, are blowing my mind here. First of all, you're fresh into it and you get a call from your upline, which is your friend's person who got her in. Yeah, and, her, na- her name's Erin. So yeah, Erin calls me. Yeah, Erin calls, calls you. And yeah. um, that little conversation, she actually has the upline leader. This is tactical, folks. Mm-hmm. And it's so tactical, like I'm so familiar with that. Usually it would have been set up different, Billy. Sometimes you don't know how to quote set up a call properly. So you just get somebody on the call like that person, like Aaron did. Uh-huh. And now that person is the expert and he's able to overcome all the objections before an objection is even said. Uh-huh. So Kalika has an experience with a call with an expert person who's going through all the motivations of Uh, and reasons why not. And he's Uh covering things like, you know, fun, FOMO, you know, um, covering the things on, it has to have, like if somebody's analytical in the business, they're going to cover that topic that you said, it only makes sense that you get trained because without training, blah, blah, blah. That means an element of why you joined is because you like to have fun, but there's a part of your brain that's analytical. And in order for you to do it, it has to make sense. So for Uh this expert person knows this about Kalika Uh already and can feel it in the exchange of the conversation and can automatically come in and cover all her objections that she doesn't even know yet she yet has. Yep. And let's break that down just a little bit more because 
I did many of these three-way calls too. So I know how they function and how we were taught to do them. And you were basically supposed to have your leader on the phone before you even make the call. Then you call the person, put your leader on hold. And then when you're ready to bring them in, you're like, hey, I have this person on the phone. And you're not even supposed to really ask for permission to talk to another person. You're supposed to be like, oh, let me just have them. I'm with them right now. Let me just have them just hop on the phone really quick and then just get them on the call. So you don't really give consent to talking to that person or whatever. And again, I'm guilty of doing this too. I did this plenty of times, whether it was a three-way call or whether I was sitting next to the person, I'd be like, I'm going to call my upline and just start dialing before they say yes or no or whatever. So informed consent is is not being given there. Um, And so again, going back to Marcusetta, which it's not his, but he branded live in full color by Marcusetta. And it was learning personality types and defining them by a color, right? And so reds are those hard driving type A personalities. Blues are the fun loving, like never on time, like easily distracted type of people. Yellows are the empathetic community, very loving, um, sometimes a little bit emotional type of people. And me being green, which Erin knew and had already prefaced Dan with this information because she knew me. I've no, I knew her beforehand. And um she knew I was green. They always, and they villainized my greenness, my analyticalness. They villainized it. And, but yes, that's exactly what he was catering to. But he was reading me on the phone. He was also trained with this. He was also given this information about me ahead of time. And again, this is stemming from Marcusetta, who learned this from whoever who's been doing this in Trek. So again, it's all, it's all so tactical. Like everything is like premeditated in this situation. Um, you know, and even down to, even down to what you were saying, and this theme will come through. And I think this is, this is the piece that plays the part in how did I get so indoctrinated without even realizing it, but like, um, the priming of objections before they even happen, that's a common theme in this training, like from the recruitment to the training to everything, right? Like I think about this, I don't even I didn't even know about pyramid schemes until they were like, this isn't a pyramid scheme, right? (laughs) Like I didn't even, they weren't even on my radar until I was presented with this opportunity. And then they explained to me what it was just so that I could debunk that what I was doing wasn't that. So it's so funny because, but the, that theme is so common throughout the whole thing. Um, just like priming for those object, objections. So then that just left me on the phone with like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go like, whatever. Like, and I, there's a little, um, you know, this rebellious streak in me, this impulsive streak in me. That's like, all right, screw it, whatever. I'll skip my first day of class and go to this thing and check it out and whatever. Well, Again, let's valid- pause there. Cause I'm guessing some of the objections, I remember these objections oh. well, when somebody was in school and we wanted them to, um, join us. Um, and the way that we would overcome those objections around like, who's going to really miss you? You know, that you can do da, 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 and da, da, da. And then what if you came away from this training? So they kind of do this. What if you came away from this training, having learned business education that helps you not only enhance the schooling you're doing, but helps you get far more blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And I'm talking, I'm wanting us to talk about it because it's that tacticalness that it does touch on a part of you that says that's the rebel in me. Yeah, of course I can do that. And it's important that we realize that they're using those real, right. 
Yep. Because it's just accessing a part of you that was always yep. there. And that's a part of their strategy. Yep. And that's the FOMO too. Like when you're told to pitch these events, it's like you tell them that you can't explain it. They just have to be there. You just have to experience it. That's where you're going to see the big picture of where this company is going. Really feel the heart of heart of the leaders and the mission and all these things. And, and that's, they're like, you just have to be there. That's like the theme of like trying to get you to go to training. Again, it's always painted as this like really fun time also, which is again, yes. a little bit of that bait and switch because they weren't very fun for me. Like, and we'll go, we'll go into that next. Cause that was pretty much like three weeks after I joined. And again, I jumped in and I kind of jumped in head first. And I feel like that's why I fell in so, so deep, you know, um, you just bring up a couple of really important things, the informed consent, right? That, that process, because of how much it's set up, how it's taught, how it's taught broken down. And we're about to hear this in her story how it, you know, the live in full color represents this. I remember this so much from my early indoctrination as well. These things, while again, elements of them may be true, we have aspects of our personality. We all know that there's legitimate personality tests in the psychology world and all the things. Um, somebody like a Marcusetta can then, you know, take these old tactical abusive c control moves that were happened in companies that got shut down by the FTC and then call it his own thing called live life, you know, live in full color, as you called it. And basically it breaks down people into four motivations or colors, blue, red, yellow, or green. I learned it like earth, you know, the different, oh. whatever, it can also be broken down into like, you know, a bit of a category of like earth, uh, fire, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And I just, it's so big of what you're sharing because these tactical things are taught and you're actually taught to do them with your downline as a way to learn how to become a better leader. So you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're getting out of the way. You think you're zipping your lips so that the expert can speak. You're doing the tactical approaches, which again, we're going to hear how, how this stuff was taught to you. But the other thing I want to point out that you just really brought up was that really quickly you're learning that what you're doing is painting a dream. You're not actually selling the thing. The training systems paint a dream. And when I look at Marcus Seta's training videos today, I could only watch about like three and a half minutes because it's so much vitriol around uh -huh. these tactical approaches of selling the dream and how um, well manufactured they are. And uh -huh. you can know something's happening to you and it still will happen to you. Right. And that's how I feel these professional network marketers have really, it's like the super predator. It feels uh -huh. like how they've brought it online. They've become super predators where it's almost indisguisable until you really think that you're doing some life-changing education. And what you really brought up is you're not, you're just being taught to work harder within what's known and absolutely publicly publicized as being um, a, a illegal and coercive and um, not okay. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. And it's, it's, it's crazy exactly how manufactured the entire, like every step of it, every step of it is. And again, maybe Erin didn't know what she was participating in, but that's the insidiousness of this industry is it turns the victims into predators themselves. 
even without full awareness of what they're doing. They may never get full awareness of what they're doing. And that's what's so wild. And then coming back to her, <laughs> I mean, I have to bring this so up. True. Coming, coming, so true. She seems innocent. She's been in my life. So she, I met her at a club. Like I met her at a club with my best friend, the same one she recruited. And she's what we used to go clubbing all the time together. Now this and isn't the same Aaron under Travis's group, right? You're in a no, totally different no, group. No, this right? is okay, a different I did meet okay. I did meet her, but we were in different organizations. Okay. Um this That's is a different Aaron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and so she was in my life for a few years before this whole thing happened. And I met her in the club scene. And it was really funny because I remember being in the club scene and I remember talking to Whitney, my best friend. Um, she's w way more of like the social butterfly than I was. So she'd make a lot more like friends. And I was just a little bit more reserved. You know, I never really felt like I made any solid friendships in the club scene as I wouldn't really do. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Erin was the one person that stuck around. She kind of just clung on to Whitney. And so she was just kind of there tangentially in my life for a long time. Didn't really love it. We, me and her had some like run-ins, but we were friends. And because she was so close to my best friend, kind of like latched on, she was just kind of there. You know what I mean? And her mom is an Amway. She was an Amway. So she was an Amway in those days. And now looking back, I'm like, were we always prospects? Did she just latch on? Because she she told me, she's like, remember, I had put my information on your fridge about Anway. You guys didn't want anything to do with it. And it's like, now I don't know. Now I don't know if we were just always prospects. And the thing is, I don't think she did that insidiously. I don't think it was. But what being in network marketing teaches you to do is look at every relationship as transactional. Mm -hmm. And even in the back of your mind, you even if they're your friend and they're going to be your friend regardless in the back of your mind is like, how can I get them to buy my thing? Or how can I get them to join my team? Or they would be so good at this if they did this with me. And so that's how it teaches you to look at every single person. So now knowing what I know about this industry and then knowing what I know about Amway and how their training is and that her family has been in it for years. And so she's probably been around it for years. I don't know what's, what was authentic. I'm like, maybe she was trying to recruit us all along. You know what I mean? Who knows? Because now I'm coming to the realization, I'm like, we were never meant to be friends. She had latched on to my best friend. That's why she was around in my life. Somehow I joined her organization. She became my upline. Now that I've realized how much I was exploited by these couple of people, I can't talk. I can't. I can't engage. I mean, we don't, we're technically fine, but like, I can't, I can't engage. I have literally just stepped back because I, I can't, I'm processing so much. But now I'm like thinking back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know what her intentions were 10 years ago. And that's the sad part. And that's what I feel like listeners should know is that this stuff goes deep. It teaches you to look at all of your relationships that way. And again, she may have done it very innocently. She may have not realized that. I don't think she realizes the depth of all of this. But the thing is, even if you are an unknowing predator, it doesn't mean that what you're doing isn't predatory. Like it's still problematic. Like as much as I'm like, okay, I'm glad I'm out. I still did the shitty things that I did. I still did the cringy things that I did. I'm not proud of them, you know, but it's like, just because I'm out doesn't mean that I didn't do those things, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that's, that's what's so dangerous about it. It just seeps into 
to relationships and you yeah, just- and relational safety, right? It really does mm-hmm. teach you how to how all relationships are transactional. And yeah, you don't when you are seeped in something, you don't even realize you're doing something. So much of that behavior is very, very unconscious. And I can mm-hmm. absolutely see how people could get um uh marinated in the industry and actually think that this way of being is okay because you've never been exposed to something else or it's just been so many decades mm-hmm. of thinking like that was your high life because you had yeah. lifestyle experiences but really the relational experiences were actually very very transactional and abusive mm-hmm. but you don't know how to call it that you just remember those lifestyle experiences so to speak so I could see how somebody that grew up around it doesn't even know they're doing that. It's just kind of, you're always good network marketers all are yeah. always baiting people. You're they're always priming a product of the product. Out. Right. And it's, it's seeped into your whole life. You're taught to integrate it into your whole life. That's right. And, and because you are selling the lifestyle more than you're selling the product, it's like, you're just, you're bringing it up because you're trying to like talk about your lifestyle casually. You know what I mean? You're like bringing it up to just imply that because of this thing is why your lifestyle is good in whatever way that you're trying to prove that it's it's good. So then you're literally taught, and this is another piece of that training of yes. how to bring it into life. And like, again, part of those training mm-hmm. systems from those corporate stages, role-playing scenarios at a mall. What do you do? Walk up to a random person. You tell them you like their shoes, start a conversation exchange information, form them, find out, found out, find out about their family, family, occupation, recreation. Yes. I remember (laughs) that family, (laughs) occupation, recreation, and motivation. Yeah. Motivated by, we would do that in the little, uh, that's the thing you talk about when you bring the prospect into the little waiting room and you're talking to them. Mm -hmm. You, and and you're saying you would do that like when you're out and about prospecting so that you have some information yeah. about like what yeah. what interests them. Or before the presentation, like you were in an office setting, WB's plan was a party plan, which is becoming less and less prevalent because of social media and because of all the side gigging and online links and videos and things. But it was a party plan, which means that they wanted you to have a travel party, whether that was at like a a restaurant or a location or at somebody's home and you'd bring a prospect. And then again, what happens before the presentation, whether that's in that waiting room that you were at or whether that's at a travel party or whether that's um, in a DM before a Zoom call. But like, it's essentially the same thing. It's you're making the prospect feel comfortable you're if this is in person you're introducing them to um the leaders if you can introduce them to the speaker that's going to be very compelling because that person's going to get up on stage and speak and they probably have a really good success story that they're going to hear you know and then the whole environment's curated with the music the topics of conversation you're told not to use like network marketing jargon that creates this us you don't want them to feel outside when they're not in yet, right? Because you're, you're still in the courting phase. You're still trying to lure them in. So you're creating like this super fun environment. Um, yeah, it's, it's all it's all just so premeditated. And yes, they would teach that forming like from stage, you know, and it's just- Exactly, built into the training system because that's how you make people better prospectors. Mm-hmm. So it's a part of that built-in. It's so mm-hmm. wild you brought up form because they totally taught us form. And just yeah. like what you're talking about as a part of the recruiting, how you became a master recruiter, because that information that you find out before helps you know what's gonna quote, be the area of interest of the people 
after seeing the presentation. And uh-huh. so are they more motivated by, you know, the fun and the lifestyle? Are they more motivated because they quote, the numbers make sense or, you know, they're analytical or the possibility. And then others are like, you know, money opportunity, ground floor opportunity kind of stuff. So that form feeds your ability to close after the presentation. Yeah. And, and also like I've worked in retail sales, right? I sold makeup at, at an urban decay makeup counter, right? I've worked in inside sales. So I've done over the phone sales and I run a small business. So now I sell my services, right? And not, I mean, yes, some sales tactics are manipulative for sure. Like I will say that, but there becomes, you know, as psychology has been taught to to salespeople, there's become this ethical dilemma, right? Not all salespeople have the right ethics to be able to use psychology responsibly. (laughs) When dealing with that's the problem that we're dealing with here. And it does exist outside of network marketing. The problem is inside it is like law. It is like that is the way to do it versus outside. You could have like a rogue salesperson, but you don't need to do all this manipulation to sell something generally. Like, and this is what jumped out at me from um, Stephen Hassan's combating cult mind control is he talked about how cults use, they, they try to, figure out the prospect um, so that they can pitch the group to them in the way that would be most effective at luring them in versus in real sales. If someone needs something, they're going to buy it if they need it, whether you're a salesperson or not. <laughs> whether you, you know, know how I mean? to talk to them in the <laughs> yeah. right way and use the motivational lures. You're bringing up such a good point because this is one of the things that I really took away is like, there's good sales in here and you bring up the ethical responsibility of where psychology motivate, what motivates people meets unethical people. And that can exist anywhere in the world. It's just now on predator speed and network marketing because mm-hmm. it's the rule of law. They're basically saying this is the way it is. And their training formula becomes the way it's supposed to be done mm-hmm. and the way you're supposed to then repeat it. Mm-hmm. It's blowing my mind. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no. I mean, even like, it's just funny because if you were to just pitch a product, like if I was to give you my elevator pitch or like whatever, they'd be like, you're talking too much. You don't know what the prospect needs, right? Like I didn't take the time to figure you out, to figure out your pain points before telling you what I have to offer. So that's not the right way to do it. That's like the okay way to do it. You might get somebody who buys, but like, if you really want to be good at this, you want to figure out that person. You want to get them to tell their nitty gritty before you even pitch them, because then you can curate your pre- your presentation to what they where they are hurting. And you think you're like finding a need and filling it, like that's kind of how it's pitched. But you're really preying on the vulnerabilities of other people like that's what it is because they don't really need what you have (laughs) yes yes and that's how that's how that's how the mindset is twisted and that's how network marketers can go out there and think that they're actually making an impact making a difference adding value when they're being taught how to manipulate people and get them to make a buying decision off of emotion and not off of what's best for them like so, I mean, that's, you know, and that's just one of the things that they they teach. Um, I think going into like the next piece of the story would be that first training. Um, 
which was just a couple weeks later. And I went with Whitney, my best friend. It was also her first event. So it was cool to have someone at my level with me. Right. And um, again, Erin, the upline uh, was, this is interesting too, because she had already been in for about a year. She had hit the first residual rank, which network marketing companies say that you can work for three to five years and then create a residual income that will pay you forever. That's for basically the rest of your life. For the that rest is of the your life. Number one pitch from the beginning to the end, three right. to five years. If yep. you're willing to work hard and go all in and put your focus into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Do do for three to five years what most people won't, so you can live like most people can. Rest can't, of your or... life, so that most people can't. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> and so she had been in for about a year, but and hit the first residual rank. This rank means that you have two teams of thirty people each. This is why I'm saying their 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 pay plan was very recruitment heavy. I didn't really see it because in order for me to hit that first rank, I would have had to have sixty people paying 50 bucks a month for a membership to hit the first rank, which was a two to $300 residual check, right? The Like the amount of work that it would take to keep 60 people paying a $50 auto ship for a pyramid scheme month after month after month when they're not involved, like if they were just customers, that's really freaking hard versus if you just recruit a few, you recruit a few, you recruit a few, you can build two legs really fast because you're stacking teams, right? So the pay plan is really about getting other people to buy the vision who get other people to buy the vision. They're buying the product only to participate in the comp plan. Um, and so she had hit that first level. Um, and so she was the senior rep and it was, again, it's a couple hundred dollar residual, nothing crazy. She quits her job. So this is where they also, the, the appearance of success is more important than the success itself. And I know that was a common element. I mean, you killed it. You did go to the top of your company, but at the end of the day, were you really making that much money? I, you know, and it's no, like, <laughs> I wasn't even at the top. I was just like at the top, I was at a leadership rank that a lot of people were, you know, striving to reach towards, but the top top was hundreds of thousands more than me, but that's, what's yeah. crazy to me is yeah. you have, you live the illusion yep. and you're, you're living in anxious CPTSD states, but you think that's success because they've told you it is. And mm -hmm. if you stopped and realized I'm not actually making any money. <laughs> yeah, well, she quit her job and me and Whitney are like, Aaron quit her job after a year. Like, I guess you could, I guess you could do this, you know, and this is, this is where the deceptions begins, like where the image is more important because you're selling the image to the lowest level. That's what you're selling them. And so, um, we go into this event. I'm still skeptical again, I'm green and I'm embracing the hell out of my greenness and my skepticism now, because I shut it down for so many years when I was in these environments. And, um, I was really skeptical when I went to that first event. I, and again, the range of emotion that happens um, because you go to these big events, they're usually three-day events um, at some random city. It's usually like in the Midwest or on the East Coast or something like that. And, um, you know, a couple, couple thousand people up to, I think our biggest one was like 20,000 people. Um, and 
it's a little bit overwhelming. There's a Friday night session, usually like a women's session and then like a product training or however it was, right? Again, people are coming in off of a work week, off of school, whatever. So you're usually flying in pretty late Friday night going into a session. There's people everywhere. And I'm, I'm introverted. I'm easily overstimulated by crowds. Social anxiety can be a thing for me sometimes. Um, and so it's overwhelming being around that many people and everyone's like a naturally happy and a naturally friendly. And it's like, unnaturally. Yeah. Like, I'm like, why, why is everybody so, like, everybody just wants to be your friend. Everybody's adding you on Facebook. Everybody's asked, telling you your life story. Everybody's been, you know, welcoming you to the team. This is love bombing. This is what it is. And you're just overwhelmed by shows of affection, but this is done in order to manipulate your behavior to get you to buy in. There's it builds, it kind of creates this reciprocal, like if someone's nice to you, you feel like you have to be nice back to them. If they're overly nice to you, you feel like you can trust them a little bit more. Um, they want you to buy into the energy of the event. That's, that's also what's going on. Um, and, you know, Aaron's just introducing us to everybody, introducing us to everybody. And it's just about who you know, who you know, who you know. And we're just meeting all these people. Everybody's being edified. Again, edification is a word that network marketing has edification the way they use it. That's not even what it means. Like it means educating somebody technically like the dictionary definition of edification means like to morally instruct somebody. It doesn't mean to put them on a pedestal. Like they're literally using the wrong definition, which is again, something oh, cults do is redefine God. words. Yeah. Redefine words. Double speak. Like, <laughs> Oh my God. I'm mind blown right now. Edification yeah. isn't even defined the way that yeah. MLM has hijacked the word. Yeah. And all, all she's doing is this repeat, like introducing us to a leader and giving us their, like, at, like their speech. So it's like a little spiel. It's like two or three bullet points, talking points that you know about all these different people. And then you do that to put them on a pedestal, deify them so that your prospect or your new recruit looks up to them. And you talked about this exactly how you do that for your team members. You have them connect to somebody they'll relate to. So then they look up to that person. They get more, they get more bought into the system. It's exactly what's happening. We're being introduced to all of these different leaders. I'm, in, yeah, I'm getting introduced to the green leaders because I'm green. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just a couple bullet points that, you know, they'll, they'll give you to make you look up to them. Again, it's all curated. So you think you're meeting people, making friends, building relationships, networking. It's not all if it's scripted. If it's scripted, you're not really networking. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And then you go you go into these day sessions, Saturday and Sunday are all day training sessions. They probably start at nine, but doors open at eight. And you have to be in line by six because you want to get in and get a good seat with your team and on every break, you're meeting up with your team to like game plan, or they'll give you a call or they'll get like a call to action and they'll be like, go call somebody on your break. And so you, so then you're going into a day long of CEOs and top leaders and C-suite executives telling their narrative of the company from stage. And these are like elementary PowerPoints. Like when you, when I look back at them, I'm like, what real information was put on those slides? Not really anything. 
I thought it was all captivating. I have hundreds of pictures in my phones of like these slides that I took. And I'm like, what, what was I even taking a picture of? There's really nothing. It's them painting the picture of the company the way they want the new recruits to see it. And so they're talking about, we opened in this many countries last year. Again, network marketing companies have to do that because they have to keep re-pyramiding because they're always in a state of collapse. So they're saying that as, look how big we are, look how fast we're growing, we're such a successful company. That's not what's happening. So again, deception, like right off the bat. They're talking about revenue numbers, growth numbers. Again, revenue is deception right off the bat because they're not distinguishing what's coming from customers versus what's coming from affiliates. So like, what is actual retail revenue? But no, they put those conflated numbers up on the screen, everything that new recruits have put in and said, we're a billion dollar company. That means you basically took a billion dollars from your reps. Like that's essentially what that means. Like, so again, the stats are skewed, but like as a new recruit, you don't know, you don't know that. And they're spitting it at you so quickly. You don't have time to fact check and you're in an arena with thousands of other people. Your phone doesn't work anyways. So you can't even like look things up if you wanted to, things like that. So it's a whole day of things like that. New releases, new products that are coming out that we're supposed to get excited about and go buy, essentially, right? And then top leaders and their rags to riches stories. And the whole message, the whole point is, if I can do it, you can do it too. And that's that's what they're, the whole point of these conventions is. They don't really teach you anything um, of value. Like, again, basic personal development principles, sure, but you can get those other places. And that's, that's the point. Basic personal development is, is infused into it. We're talking about basic, right? Yeah. Most self-development books that have been written, yeah. they're infused in there. I'm curious, this first training, who are some of the trainers that are on stage that, um, that, are, that are, that are being painted? Are these, you're saying C-suite CEOs and trainers? Yeah. So like, for example, Travis just would have been a knighted trainer, right? He was a knighted trainer. Um, Eric Grisbowski, somebody that I mentioned to you that I'm doing my secret, he's in secret now. So I'm doing like a, he's in one of the videos that I'm doing. He was, um, a knighted trainer. Angie Cuff, I do, I don't know if she was actually trained, like she was up there. I don't know if she was ever like really speaking from stage very often in this company. Um, I don't know if you know people like Byron Schrag. Um, he his parents were in Amway. He's another top leader. I don't know what company he's in now, but he's still doing the thing. Um, he was a knighted trainer. Who else? Let's see. There was like this guy Johnny Wimbry. He claims to have been taught by Les Brown. Um, there's I'm like blanking on it. Jefferson Santos was WB's first rep. I don't think he came from the world you came from, but I think he was probably in the previous company of the founder, Wayne Nugent. I don't know if you know who he is, but Wayne Nugent was the founder of the company. What um, I'm wanting is just to speak them out loud, even if I have no idea who any of these people are, yeah. because they represent a generation in network marketing. These yeah. top late, these leaders are the representation of the people that have been around, right? Mm -hmm. And some mm -hmm. have ranked into those over the decades, but many, many are repeating. And so the more we can just say the names mm -hmm. so that as people listen to these stories, their own intersection of a random thing they think they went yeah. through mm -hmm. is so curated and we don't even yeah. know. Yeah, there was a, a lady, her name was 
Bethany Webster. She she was at the first event. She's like a powerhouse, like woman mama speaker up there. And then she was gone. And I'm like, why is she gone? And then I was like, I heard she wanted Mark Setta's job. And so then they like, she went to another company that paid her money to do the thing. This is what happens. Like though, they, they want that role because they don't want to be a rep in the field anymore. After a certain point, being a rep gets exhausting as we heard firsthand from, uh, or as Aaron heard firsthand from Travis Just, being a rep in the field is just exhausting. Even at the top, you are, you never stop. You literally can never stop unless you've really, really done it the way you've built enough top leaders underneath you. But then again, you could still have these people trying to push you out when you stop working. And then that's what happens. <laughs> they don't let you stop because you are actually choosing to stop. And then there's the manipulative tactics to actually pull you out. So we don't even know if she wanted Marcus at his job. She could have been bringing up very legitimate abuse things or other things uh-huh. that she has a whole story of. And yep. we don't know her real reason to leave. But a part of that tactical move is when somebody does leave, they have to leave you a story so that you, uh-huh. quote, don't go searching for why. Oh, it that's has to so be good. a big enough story to not uh-huh. go look because yep. you don't want to get influenced. You don't want to have that much ego that you would do that. So just stay in your lane and focus. That's and exactly those stories it. are designed to do that to us. That's exactly it. Wow. Yeah. No, and that explains why every time somebody would leave, I would just unfollow them. I'd like, I can't see their stuff anymore. I get, I, because I had to keep, you have to keep building your belief in what you're doing when you're doing something that's so shady and icky. And so when somebody does something that directly um, like conflicts with that, like your mind cannot, because they've narrowed your range of emotion. It's like they're, you're either positive or you're a hater. So if they're not positive about this and they're a hater and then yeah, you just have to like shut them out, you know? And so that's, right. that's definitely, um, that's definitely a dissonance. great way. The mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance is too much. And, and you have, you've been trained so much where you do that, right? You're like, I'm not going to listen to them. It, you know, after doing that, my story was one of the things I reflected on was none of the other quote, top leaders in other companies that I knew ever paused and said, are you okay? You know, like what the fuck actually just happened? Because if anybody yeah. in that, again, that's why saying these leaders names out loud, I think it helps us all because they're, they're stuck in purgatory too. You know, um, mm-hmm. I really believe that like the a person like a Travis just as much as he seemed to be at the top of some game, it's, it, it's so sad to witness that he's staying for his people, right? Mm-hmm. Because if he gave, if he really admitted that it was a, it, that's not where the money's to be made. you go against the system and you've been so trained to not quote, go against that system. You don't know how to get transparent if you've been yeah. in it too long almost. Yeah. It's almost too hard to leave or too hard to come to terms with what the new reality would be without that. And, you know, it's, and yeah, that's, it's wild. Anyway, um, so the lady leaves and this is the story. Oh, she just wants to take Marcus Setta's position. So anyway, you just focus. And every time somebody leaves, you just unfollow them and you control your environment. And this uh-huh. is a back to thought control. It's the way that we help ourselves make sure to get back to training because they build in this idea that just when you start to doubt, you got yourself to the next training. 
And the, these top leaders will tell those stories on the stage like that, where they'll tell this, what you talked about, what was this, what did you call it? Their rags to riches story. Mm -hmm. But they're also down in the outs stories. Mm -hmm. And they'll mm -hmm. tell this story where they almost quit and this happened and this happened and this happened, but they got themselves to that next training. And then blah, blah, blah. And so it's oh, really yep. meant to build on our belief when you do start seeing the holes that are in plain sight, when people start to leave and it's really all damage control. Yeah. And like you said, it's building the belief that the next event holds the answers for you. Um, that again, training is good. Learning <laughs> things is good, but that whole thing is like so fabric, so, so fabricated. If you really honestly believe in something like outside of network marketing, you don't need to go to training every 90 days to reinforce that belief. Like the reason that they're having you do that is because one, you're out there talking to people about this and they're telling you that what you're doing is a scam. They're telling you, what, you know, and so that is obviously creating doubt in you to add on to the doubt that's already there, that the, all the cognitive dissonance, all the things underneath the surface, but it's really to, to get you re-indoctrinated again and tell you how to deal with the next 90 days and just focus on these three things and keep your head down and do this, this, and this, and this, and you'll hit that next drink. But <laughs> focus on these three things, the 90 yeah. day plan, like these things are so formulated. It's just, yep. oh my God, it's recirculated trading systems. Wow. And then, yeah. And, and the reason I would talk about those events is because that's where like the, the majority of the brainwashing happens and it doesn't Absolutely. happen. Um, it doesn't happen to your knowledge. Like you just like, I, I would go to these events. I'd feel like I've learned a lot. I took a bunch of notes. I met a lot of people. I felt like more motivated in the business because I've seen other people that are having success or at least telling a success story, whether what's actually behind it, you don't know. Um, and I know I'm feeling emotionally exhausted. I'm completely burnt out. My social interaction meter is at like a negative 30. I'm like, I just need to go lock myself in a room for a little bit. Like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'd notice at the end of like Sunday, that there'd be all, all these events, right? Most of your time is spoken for. And so of course there's a party at the end or a dinner or this or that, or meeting with your team and set appointments for the week. But by the end of Sunday, I would just be like so irritable and I'd be getting so cranky. And like, I would feel like there was something wrong with me. Like, I'm like, I would, I'm like, why am I getting like this? Like I, I would get short with people and I'd get irritated or I'd need to just like go distance myself. And I feel like something wrong with me. And no, that's what's happening to you is someone is in, has been influencing your mind for 48 to 72 hours and you're, you're mentally fucked for a little bit. Like that's what's happening. And, and I, I don't remember where I read it because this is this specific topic of these three-day indoctrination events or those longer ones. Um, and what happens to your mind, it, I'm so fascinated by it. And I think it was Stephen Hassan uh, somewhere in, in something I read, but where he said, um, you know, by day three, and, and what they're doing the whole time is they're giving you little pieces of truth and then spinning these wild stories off of them. Um, and the truth often spins 
off into these like hypothetical realities of like what could be possible for you or what could be possible for the company or the world or whatever the messaging is. But um, they're saying a lot of things that don't really make sense, but you don't really have time to analyze them or fact check them or think them through critically. And your brain just gets so exhausted that you just succumb. And then you just start start accepting because you've stayed in this environment for so long, your brain starts to accept that what they're saying is true. And then that's where they can start to say anything. And you're like, all right, well, I'm exhausted. They know what they're talking about. I'm just going to believe whatever Mark's saying from stage, you know, like that's essentially what's happening to you. And like, that is where the indoctrination comes. And then, then they tell you, okay, this is what you got to focus on. Got to put your armor on. This is your family in here. You're going out into the world out there. You got to be ready to take arrows. There's all these like military parallels, like we're fighting wars and like, and then, and then you go out there and you're like a robot of what you saw that weekend. <laughs> and then you keep thinking that you need to do that. At first it's, because you get burned out and you go back to an event, you think you're going to get recharged. But then you start realizing that you're meant to bring other people to these events and to get them indoctrinated. So they turn into little, to little mini robots, you know? And so I came off that weekend very, like, I don't know. I just felt so confused emotionally, but I still, I bought the vision. Like something about me was like, okay, this is real. Like I could actually create some real income here. That's where I was like, okay, if people are really making money doing this, this is legit. And people are making real money doing this. And the only thing that it takes is my discipline and hard work and dedication and showing up to trainings. I can do that. So that's where I like bought it. I was still skeptical about it. And I was still asking a ton of questions. My skepticism actually turned Whitney off. So my doubts placed doubts in her and she ended up showing one person who turned her down and she was upset over it and never showed another person again and never got as sucked into it as I did. Mm -hmm. Um, but my skepticism actually turned her off and me, it was just trying to me being me trying to process like, yeah, I'm skeptical, but I'm going to ask questions. And then if I feel like I get a satisfactory answer, which somehow I thought I did, I continued to move forward with it. Um, but after that event is where I had so many questions because again, we're on, we're at training and they finally get to a part I want to hear about. They finally get to like comp plan or like, this is how to build an organization. If you really want to build an organization, like, cause in a binary, there's like strategies for building a binary. And like some people tell you build equally at that point, at that time, they were teaching us to drive depth. So to build one leg really deep so that the momentum motivates everybody else on the leg to keep building the leg. And like, that was like the idea, right? So I'm at my first event trying to learn like some nuts and bolts, like actual, like, okay, if I want to do this and they put the most like, I don't want to like insult anybody, but like just the, the most ditzy, like chick on stage to talk about the comp plan and she doesn't really even talk about it like she just like randomly goes over it doesn't make any she doesn't she, they put her on stage all the time to like show that anybody can do this she's like one of those people but like it, it made no sense and so I was like so frustrated I'm like I just paid for training and then the part that I really wanted to learn about like the nuts and bolts they didn't even go over she spent like five minutes making no sense and I'm like sitting here trying to take notes and so I'm like really confused because I'm like that was another like cognitive dissonance piece like training isn't really training 
me, you know? Right. And so then I go home and I have a lot of questions. So then I get on the phone with Aaron and Dan and I'm asking them all the questions and they are getting so frustrated, so frustrated with me. And characteristic, this is the one I remember because this is how WV's comp plan was built. The basics, nuts and bolts, because they, they teach you like the one building block, right? And you just want to duplicate that one building block over and over and over again. And the one building block is you teach your person to get there for, right? So, and, and in there, um, what that means is you sign up as a member or a rep, or in my case, both, and you're paying your 50 bucks a month for your gold membership. And um, if you can sell four other gold memberships, you get yours for free, right? And this is where you have normal referral programs and then you have endless chains of recruiting and the line between them is a little bit blurred. And this is how people, including myself, can get confused because I'm like, okay, I can sell floor memberships and get mine for free. And I did, right? So I'm like, okay, cool. So like what they do is essentially is if you have four active memberships in the system, when it comes time for your monthly bill to come due, if you have four below you, they just don't charge you. So I'm like, okay. And so I did that in my first couple months and I stopped paying for my membership. So I'm like, okay, I'm not sinking more money into this. Like I was paying for training, but this How is much? the part where- How much was training? Um, like the conventions were like two to $300. Um, the view from the edge one was like four or 500 because it was like a bigger like production. Um, and then the regionals, they had regionals anytime there was a big leader. Oh, this is the part from your story that I remembered too. Cause any, 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 um, market that had a big leader in it, we'd ha they'd have a regional training for that market, but they wouldn't train their own market. They'd fly those people to different markets because you can't be a prophet in your own town or whatever. Home hometown. You can't be a prophet in your own hometown. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the um, the Momentum United, A View from the Edge and Bootcamp, were these all company-wide or was this just within one downline within the company? No, this was the company. So these this is where Mark was on stage. They would have corporate talking and then they would have like the knighted trainers be the ones that, that speak. So these are the ones that are every 30 days these, or these every 90 days. Right. So these are the four ones, the quarterly ones that are run by the company itself. And yeah. then the regional trainings are where once you understand, quote, what's going on, um, you find out that there are actually regional trainings that you could yeah. attend yeah. that have different leaders in California or in the Midwest or the East Coast. But you didn't find that out because they wanted you to go to that big training. They wanted, they wanted me to get to the big, the big one, right? Like that's, that's the, the path they want to take you to. I, I didn't go to the local ones. I mean, I guess that would have been a step. I don't know if they would have recommended it though, because it wasn't my own team. Um, right. You know, exactly. I know exactly why yeah. I'm just saying from a new <laughs> yeah. person's point of view, you don't know those things exist, but once yeah. you're in, you yeah. totally know why. And yeah. we didn't want people to go to local trainings, just like, yeah. Uh, because then it's out of their necessarily downline. They can't influence right. that much. Right. And they really have no idea the strategy. They might not be teaching that particular same strategy in a particular yep. way. And I did. I mean, again, like my team was based out of Denver and I live here now, but I lived there. I lived in the Bay Area for my whole life. That's where I grew up. And so um, I joined because 
that girl, Erin, who used to be from the Bay, had moved out to Denver and joined a Denver team. And that's how we had joined. But me and Whitney were like still in the Bay Area. And there is a team in the Bay Area. And I did end up going to their trainings eventually because I didn't want to travel to because the regionals, the small ones, they were still mandated by the company. They, they kind of corporatized it. But they did fly leaders from each market to different markets so they could train each other's markets. And were those monthly? Um, not every single month, but pretty much, pretty much. There was like one weekend a month that was either a regional day or like a weekend, the, the big conferences that were like a weekend. I, I mean, I did go to a couple, but, um, they were different in my, in my hometown. Like I went to the local ones, but it was a completely different team. And I, I felt a little out of place. It, it didn't really make sense to me. Kind of similar to what you were saying. I'm like, this is, I mean, like people were nice to me, but like they weren't really engaging with me. And it was a way different team because like my, our team in Denver was called the Rat Pack and it was built by um, 20, 20 year olds. And then the team that was in like the South Bay area was like this older group, older white people, and then Filipino people. And so it was like completely different demographics. <laughs> so it was really funny, the but I did go pack. to those. Yeah, it, it stands for retired at 20 classic oh my god yeah <laughs> um but yeah so then that first event I like asked the question right I was like or after the first event I'm on the phone they're frustrated with me and I'm like if everybody could just get their four because the point is the, the way they pitch it is well everybody knows four people that they'd go on vacation with right like just show four people and then if you if you actually get four people that want to sign up for this with you then you get your sure free cool. Like I, I can understand that. Right. And, and I did it and I, I wasn't paying for my membership for a long time and I continued to sell membership. So even when people dropped off, like I'd have enough to waive my membership fee. So again, I wasn't, this isn't one of those situations where I was shoveling a bunch of money into products. Uh, the only products that I would have been paying for would have been that membership. But for a majority of my time, it was waived. If you ever drop below, of course, you'd have to pay it. You know, if you lost a person or if you upgraded to platinum and you needed eight below you, not four and one dropped off, then you'd have to pay it type of thing. But um, for the majority of my time, I, you know, I wasn't paying the membership. So I, I didn't feel like I was like, I didn't feel like I was putting a bunch of money into it, even though I was like every weekend training, you're paying hundreds for a ticket, you're paying for your food, you're paying for your travel, you're paying for your Ubers, you're paying for, I spent a thousand dollars every single time I went on one of those things, you know what I mean? So yes, I was losing money, but like I was, I didn't feel it, I guess, because I wasn't just buying a bunch of product that was sitting around in my home or anything like that. Um, but I asked the question, I'm like, if every, if everyone can just get there for, how does this company make any money? Right. And so this is me like understanding that endless chain can't work forever. Like at the very beginning, maybe I didn't phrase it right. Maybe I didn't whatever, but the answer was, it just does like, that was the answer. That was, the that response. was the, that was the answer. And so like, and again, I think I asked so many questions and I just wasn't getting anywhere at some point I was just like, okay, well, if they say it works, works and I bought it and I bought the lie and and that's the fundamental lie that this endless chain of recruiting can work for anyone who wants to work it and somehow they say well not everybody wants to work it so you'll never run out of people or however they kind of explain it but like there's 
you literally can't, it, it did, will not ever work. <laughs> but they have very sneaky ways of comparing it to referrals or just saying, oh, just a couple of people who show a couple of people. Or like if I asked about the income disclosure, right? Like I saw the income disclosure, but it's framed in a way. And, and for those of you who don't know what an income disclosure is, network marketing companies ideally should be putting out a statement that says, this is what people make at different ranks of the company. Now it's self-reported and a lot of them do them in very obscure ways. Like they don't even do like rank and pay. Like they'll be like, this range of pay and this many people are making, it's very obscure. And it's like that for a reason because you're trying to hide the stats of how many people are actually losing money in the system. Even though they make it very obscure, the income disclosures still don't look great because they generally show that like 90-ish percent of people are not making any money. And um, some of them are, but they're not including expenses or taxes or anything in there. So when you factor that in, even less are making money. So I saw the income disclosure. And a couple months in, I had like signed up like, I don't know, eight people or something. I'd gotten a free membership. I'd hit fast start bonuses, which is another thing they do to help you see early wins so you stay in longer. Um, and so then early I saw the income disclosure. Yeah, yeah. They want you to make money early. And then when you never make that much money again, you're already indoctrinated. So you'll still keep working. And that's exactly and, what happened to me. And your story is being told publicly. Mm -hmm. you're, so you're even building though a you're story. Not, you're, even though you're not making any money a couple of months in, your story's being used as the fast start. And so yeah. you want to live up to that image. It goes back to painting the picture mm -hmm. of the illusion of people making money. And then you buy in because other people are telling stories about you. And that's a natural, normal human thing that we all need, yeah. right? We all yeah. need praise and we all need to be noticed and acknowledged. But when your story becomes the fuel that actually mm -hmm. keeps you running in a system that you're starting to notice, huh, it doesn't add up. I want to go to the um, the income disclosure. I remember yeah. all this income disclosure and it totally was a range. And so you, you don't, your brain takes that in where it's like, okay, at this level, you could make as little as 200 or as much as 4,000, right? And that range is so wide and, you know, it's kind of brushed off and explained by, you know, talking about retention and talking about how good you are with follow-up and how committed you are with going to training. So they use that disclosure as a way to then re-foster why the training system is what would get you on the higher end of that. And, and that this is just so that your brain associates those things when you're looking at it, a real analytical like you would be diving into a little more, ask a question, and then they still deflect the answer. Yeah. You know? and, it, it, and when they can't do it with logic, they do it with, by appealing to your, again, like your ego, because you're seeing, or like I, I saw pretty early success, got painted as a rock star, got painted as starting the, got start, starting the, the barrier market for the, the rat pack. And like, you know, like they talk about you like that. And I saw that I was falling. I saw that it said something like 96% of people like weren't making money. But then essentially it was like, look, you're already in the top. 3% and you literally just started. And the reason that most people aren't making money is most people don't even show one person. I want to break that down because that is the huge piece of like, that's the biggest way network marketers gaslight people that leave is by saying that they don't do anything. When people that don't make money, they say that you didn't work it. You don't work hard enough. You didn't try, whatever. That is not the case. There, ninety-five percent of people aren't just signing up and not doing anything. They'll use the explanation of, "Oh, they just signed up for the discount." 
that wasn't relevant in my company. It is relevant in some other companies, I guess, where you get a discount on products when you're a rep or whatever. Again, not that many people are signing up just for a discount. There's been studies done on this. Most people join for the income opportunity, at least a piece of it. Maybe not seven figures, but they join for the opportunity to make some income. And they just appeal to the fact that, oh, you know, you're already here. So if you just keep going, you'll just keep rising through the ranks. Um, they use the, the like you said, the training, they'll be like, all, what is it? All the top income earners come to training, right? Like, so they're basically saying, if you come to training, then you'll be in that top percent. When in the reality, the reason that the people that come to training are in the top percent is because they're bringing the most people underneath them to train. So they have these giant organizations. Like that's the piece that they kind of leave out, but they paint it like, oh, just come to training. And then you could training also. solves everything. Yeah. And the whole answer is training. And then the answer to everything becomes training. And it's so, it's so wrapped in because there is a part where education is important, right? There are elements, again, of truth, but the fact that the whole thing is predicated on getting to training and how all of the tactics are then taught as if that's actual real strategy to grow a real mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. and, and none of it, it, it's like playing business. Now, now that I'm like out and like building an actual business that we started last year and like from the ground up, like making all the decisions for my... For ourselves for what we're doing and all the different pieces that come into it and all the things that are relevant and things that I've had to learn I mean it's like one I never learned that in this business training that was supposed to be so useful two I can learn this for free if I just go look for the information like you don't need to go pay somebody to stand on stage and to go learn have, from millionaires, to go learn yeah. from people who've done it. And that's the way that the hook is. But these people haven't. They just have, like, what did you say in the very beginning? They're master manipulators. If they've been at this that many years, then what they've mastered is the art of coercion and making mm -hmm. it look like it's a play business. Yeah. I, like I said, I jumped all, like I said, I'm just going to go to all my training the first year because I just believed, like, okay, if the trainings are what's going to do it, I'm going to go. Right. Yep. And so then the, the next one, um, I maybe went to like a regional or something, but the next one that I went to was an optional training. So it was an optional fifth one. So of course I went, um, with Marcus Etta in an intensive setting in Maui for five days. And this was a, a personal development training. And they pitch and, this and, and reps have to pay for that themselves. And they pitch it as an optional thing, not something you have to do. But if you're serious, you would get there. Yes, because along with business training and network marketing, they always have to pitch the personal development aspect because one, there's no actual business training, but two, wrapped up in the personal development is the indoctrination. And they have to keep, you've probably heard this, but you have to do the inner work as well as the outer work, right? Like they'll talk about people that see fast success in their business and then they stop. And then they'll be like, it's because you have to develop internally to be the person that can have that, have that much money or like whatever it is. And it's like, I mean, it's so fucking manipulative. That's it is, is right. Like there's nothing wrong with growing as a person. And if you have toxic traits and things like that, that you need to work through that are holding you back. Yes, you absolutely should deal with them and work through them and like 
whatever. And then again, me studying cognitive science, me loving the personal development space, me, I, I geek out over how the brain works. And so I was eating this shit up. Like I was eating it up. And, me too. Me and, too. and I feel like that's why, but this is where it's problematic. And I can see this thinking and how people carry it outside of network marketing. And it's like, yeah. you really don't need to surround yourself with millionaires to be a millionaire. Also, you don't get money by osmosis. So standing next to a millionaire is not going to make you one. Like, yeah, maybe if you have like an actual connection with them and they teach you something about finance, like, yes, I'm not saying that something positive couldn't come out of that, but they teach you this whole, like, get around rich people. You should want to be near the people on stage. And that's all manufactured to create like this belief in this system. It has nothing. Yeah. The FOMO it, there's no it. other purpose. Yeah. There's no other purpose besides keeping you like admiring these people and looking up to them and listening like to what they have to say. Right. That's and right. so that's right. To be able to like, let them be able to get on a conference call and be able to influence you, you know, it's just to create more hierarchy of influence and you don't right? the idea that you are the influence of the people you hang out with. That might be, you know, that philosophical or psychological truth of that, there's but, truth to it. Right, exactly. But you don't <laughs> need to be around millionaires to make millions. You just have to study the the acts, you know, which are plenty written, plenty already. Like you can research it. You don't need to hustle to get into a room and pay for that, like that system indoctrinates to believe. Mm-hmm. And then, like, and that's why, again, the, they they bring in that inner work aspect because they have to keep building your belief, otherwise you leave, right? Like if you start to think objectively, start to think rationally, start to think, um, you know, just critically. Yeah. Any of those things, like you, you would just leave if you're like, Oh, I've spent $500 thus far. And I've only made a hundred dollars. And if you were just thinking objectively, even though that's much less money than I ever spent, like you would be able to be like, that doesn't make sense. Okay, I'm out. You know what I mean? Like it would be absolutely fairly very, easy to, yeah. It's a basic principle. You know, I think it's very basic. It's the same thing what you pointed out around if somebody decides to just not go to training, let's say they keep their membership, they still stay active, all the things, everybody knows that that person is on the doomsday trail. And that's a sure sign that the real sale is the training because uh-huh. without that training, people aren't going to stay in the motivational four trainings a year system. Uh-huh. They're just going to focus on their everyday life as opposed to thinking that they need all of those in order to see the big picture of what's quote uh-huh. possible. Yep. And I, you know, I bought the idea. Okay. Let me go to all the training. If all the, if this is the intensive training. If this is where the leaders are, if this is where, you know, I'll, I'll be able to, start doing the inner work now instead of later on, you know? So I go and I, I go with Aaron, um, my upper Five line. days to Maui. Five, five days in Maui. And it's like, it's all day for sure. Um, and it's, he's like, this is emotionally taxing. So we, um, um, uh, suggest that you spend like, there's a couple days at the end built in just so that you chill because it's so emotionally taxing like that's how they preface it for you they're like we're gonna get into it really here and definitely had like a tony robbins feel i'm not i was gonna say that sounds so tony robbins to me 
Yeah, like we didn't walk on like hot coals, but we did like something like similar. And um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with this event because it wasn't business training only. It was whole life training. Like he was talking about all sorts of different topics. It had the general theme of breaking you down to build you back up. Um, again, merit to the idea of like embracing new seasons of your life, letting go of old versions of yourself, embracing new ones, stepping into to different roles, all about all of those things. I relate to like a phoenix and then the butterfly metamorphosis. Like I get that stuff, you know, like cool. But like, again, destructive groups may use this idea to build you, break you down and build you up in the cult image version of yourself. And that's kind of what's happening here. So like the first day is like, he's getting you to whether it's right or talk to each other. And there's, there's a whole sociological aspect here too, of the group dynamics that play into the persuasion in these environments, because all these training environments are in large group settings. And so there's like peer pressures and there's plants in the crowd that are swaying the emotions of the crowd in certain directions. And you're being influenced by the group as well as by the leader, you know, and they tell you to do these exercises too, that are just really weird, icky and cringy. Like he would like turn music on and then you were supposed to like, you paired up with a person and then you were like supposed to like, yell your deepest darkest pain out at them and they were supposed to do the same to you but like the music's so loud that you're not supposed to be able to hear anything it's supposed to be more like a cathartic experience but it's so weird because it's like so constructed you're in like a hotel lobby you can kind of still hear the person you're talking about things you're like I don't really want to talk about this but I want to in the spirit of the exercise I want to participate fully so then you do it's just it's just weird it's just so weird I wish I'd never done those things but the, this is again how how cults manipulate you and indoctrinate you and get you to do things in group environments that you may not have done otherwise and so it was a lot of like these weird like it felt like sociological experiments to me, like that he was kind of playing on us. Again, a little bit of training on the personality colors and like the basics, but then he would, like we would be sitting at tables with groups of people and then they'd be like, you have to, you have to tell people what you don't like about them. And then it like created a weird dynamic at the table. And then you had to tell people what you like about them. And it was just very weird. And I don't really know what the, per like there was no clear message at like the end of it. You know what I mean? Of like, I'm like, what did they get out of that? Like, I don't, I don't really know. It was just awkward. And then you found out you had these weird animosity tensions with people because they just said that they don't like, like, it's just strange. Very, very weird. Um, they were all day. And so like at the end of the first day, you're very broken down. He definitely had them go late into the night on purpose because that is when you're more emotionally spent, your barriers are down. He even told us this explicitly. He's like, I want you to do your goal setting at like midnight. It was like super late because I want you guys to take the limits off of your mind. And when you're so tired, you'll like set more ambitious goals or something, mm. you know, but it was so the first day was like breaking you down and the next day was building you up. And then he had this binder that you were going through as fatty binder. I wish I still had it. Um, and then they would take you through all these exercises and then they would talk about like other things too. So then they would like, his wife came up 
and then did like this section about like how they got out of debt and like the snowball. And again, okay, great, great technique for getting out of debt, like the snowballing your debt method, like cool. That was like, okay, one solid thing that is like applicable in the real world. But then him and his wife like did like this relationship training. And then it's like, you find out that they're in the process of splitting up. And so it's like, it's all fake. Like it's all curated, right? Cause then him and his wife split up a couple of years later. And then, um, then they go into religion and this is, this is the part cause he had me write down the 10 or he had us all write down the 10 commandments. So we get into religion. It's late at night on like the second night or the third night or something. And he's like, I know a lot of you are going to say that we shouldn't talk about this. This is like handling the objections before they even happen. Right. Like, I know you shouldn't talk about this, but essentially, um, you know, you got to get right with God. (laughs) I don't know if those are the exact words, but this is the messaging that was prevalent in this company. So again, these aren't religious cults, right? But there is a very religious element to a lot of these multi-level marketing companies. And even at that first event that me and Whitney went to, they had a non-denominational church service on Sunday. Maybe the second one that we went to, because I don't think we went to church the first time, the second one, we got talked into going. We walk in, he's telling us that if we don't believe what he believes, we're going to hell or like whatever. Me and her got up and walked out. Like we literally walked out. And so I was already like, I've already, you know, why are we talking about religion at a business event also some pretty hard hitters and then we're in this thing with marcusetta who i thought i liked you know the other guy was like i don't really like him but i thought i liked mark and then what was the other guy's name do you remember uh david peach okay keep going yeah he's a long time industry guy and um he was like a guest speaker for the training he wasn't like a rep he was he was a no he was a rep he was probably one of the knighted trainers and then he also Uh, one of the top leaders also yeah, one of the top leaders also did the church service. If, I see. If, I just can't they... even get over the knighted trainers. And one of the top leaders does the church service. Yeah. I yeah. just have to pause you on that and say the group dynamics that play into the persuasion. You said it so well. An entire ethos is getting created as you paint this picture for us. Keep going. Yeah. And I mean, with cults, like it's, it's the rank and file members that keep other members in line more than it is the founder or the, you know, who's policing everybody. And that's that same element of everyone kind of thinks the same, acts the same, holds the same belief system. And they kind of keep you from stepping out of line. Even if they're not explicitly doing it, you feel so uncomfortable being the sore thumb that sticks out that you just kind of conform. And so when it comes to this, um, religion thing he's like i don't know none of you you know some of you may think that we shouldn't be talking about this here but these are some good principles or whatever he said so we're going to talk about it so the next page you flip your binder and it says write down the ten commandments and i'm like okay mind you i was born hindu so and i i don't i don't um i'm not really like i'm not religious and that was one of the things when i was growing up that i had an issue with my own culture because i Everything in Indian culture, I don't know how much about Indian culture, you know, but a lot of things in Indian culture are just based on because we've done it this way for centuries. And just that doesn't it it didn't make sense to me. I was asking questions about that from a very young age. I'm like, why do we do this? Oh, I don't know. Just because we've always done it. I'm like, okay, well, that's not Not a good good enough. enough." (laughs) And, And we were never like overly like religious, but like Hinduism is a very like 
you can passively participate. It's not like an intense religion. And they're very open to you picking and choosing whatever works for you. And you just kind of, and with the family, it's so ingrained in family tradition that it has a lot more to do with tradition than it does with religion, if that makes sense. So we'd be doing like, yeah, yeah. For me, it's all culture. We'd be doing like, we'd celebrate the holidays in my home, like growing up, but it wasn't because we were overly religious. It was more of a like social, we had our family friends over, we did the puja, we had some Indian food. You know what I mean? It was more of like a cultural, like it's so ingrained in the culture. Bottom line, I'm- I don't know about the commandments. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't know how to write it down either. I would be like, I have no idea. I mean, I can I come like, up with a few. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly where I was. And like, I watched the 10 commandments with my Indian family. Okay. Like the old school movie. Like I used to like it, like the old school one. I don't know if you you know what I'm talking about, but um, we used to watch that with my family. And like, I'm like, I'm familiar. I don't have a problem with Christianity, but if you shove it in my face, I might, you know what I mean? Like, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) He's just staring me down staring me down. Everyone else is just like scribbling away. And I'm just sitting here like this. I'm not doing this. And he's just watching me. And it's like that psychologically, who's going to break first type of game. And it was the last exercise we did. And I just, I walked out right after it. I was pissed. I was pissed. And then by synchronicity or whatever, one of my best friends who was outside of the company, um, was in Maui at the same time as me and was staying at the hotel next to mine. And so I got out of this event and I'm boiling and Erin's looking for me. She's like, she's mad that I'm mad, right? Cause I got mad at this whole thing and she's very mad. So she got mad that I was mad and I'm like, okay, I gotta go. And so I'm like, Kayla, meet me on the beach. So I text my friend <laughs> that's outside the company and I go sit on the beach with her. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I went to school with her. She like, again, also very like science. We both studied like biology, science, things like that. Again, I believe in like evolution. And they're over here saying like, no, the world was created in seven days. And I'm like, no, but you know what I mean? Like, and listen, we don't have to agree. The point is like, why are we talking about this? Like, Why is this being discussed? That's the point. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And She's like, Kalika, what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on with you? Like, I remember her saying that because I was so religiously confused. I knew I was pissed, but I was questioning my own religion. And I'm like, what, what's happening to me? And she's like, are you okay? Like, what's happening to you? I was like, no, I'm fine. I just kind of got worked up. Like, it was just weird for them to ask to do that. And everyone else is doing it. And then now this thing with, this thing with Aaron. And it, it stood out to me because she could tell. She could tell. She's like, what's something, something's not right with you here. Like what's going on? But again, I stayed. So the fact that I stayed and didn't just get pissed and leave, like that's where my brain is like, okay, well you stayed. So you, you chose, you chose this. So then you start to like make yourself accept it. And, and those are some of the, the weirdest, like the most stand out, like someone getting me to do something I didn't want to do, like go to that training or like question something I know I believe in, or I know I don't believe in, like just by sitting in a room with you for a couple of hours, like persuasion is very, very, you know, manipulative and insidious and and 
people can use it on you very quickly and, and you can think that you're a very well-rounded, capable, intelligent person and all of the other things, but like nobody's immune. <laughs> nobody's right. immune to it. And especially when it's a system, it's not just one person um, working against you. It's not one person. I mean, one person can easily also manipulate people. I'm not saying that can't happen, but when there's a system of multiple people working together strategically to lure somebody in, like you're, you're pretty defenseless. It is. It's a recipe for crazy making. I can't agree with you more. The group dynamic thing, you can have somebody orchestrating it, but it's the ethos of the group dynamic that creates such a, um, a social obligation to participate to stay engaged, to not question the amount of shaming that you witness in it, that you wouldn't even know how to name as that, you know, would happen to you if then fill in the blank, you know? Uh Um, So it's so true. It's, it's high level coercion in a group environment that gets you to then question yourself. And that's a form of crazy making and gaslighting in public environments. That's actually socially normalized. Mm-hmm. And it gets you to stop trusting your own gut feelings and your own intuition. And I'm, I'm not even going to lie, I'm still working on um, gaining that back and being able to like trust it again. Um, because this is relatively fresh for me. Like, yeah, it's been a year since I've officially been out, but it's, it's been so much deconstructing. Like I had to consume so much anti-MLM content before I even reached out to Julie to be like, I need to talk to you, (laughs) you know, and and that was months later, like, and so like, I'm still figuring out how to be like, no, this is a good decision for me. Yes, this is a good decision for me based off of what I feel and nothing else and being able to trust that again. And that's finally coming back. But that's what they do is they confuse, uh, Stephen Hassan calls it your your internal locus of control. Like you you no longer have that internal locus of control. You're now giving that power away to whoever you're listening to, who is now telling you what to do. Um, and they're telling you as if that's what's best for you. But in the end, it's really, you know, what's best for them or their organization or whatever. But that's where you start making decisions because you're told to do something and um not it, it's not really benefiting you and that's that kind of leads me into all like the, the the cringy things that i did this episode will continue in part two my interview with kalika kenneth Carr. i'll be releasing it next sunday so please stay tuned this has been another episode of uncomfortable conversations on predators in business community and culture if you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in personal and professional reinvention. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com or check the show notes for details. Please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone that you love. Please remember your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. 
By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast.